21st century transfer pricing can be summed up in three words, country-specific requirements. Every jurisdiction in the world plays by its own rules, and not to complain, but it's not making things any easier for multinational companies now, is it? Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, your host of the Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And when it comes to the burdens of localized transfer pricing compliance, our message is simple. Country-specific regulations are here to stay, so be smart about it and know what you're up against in every jurisdiction. We'll even help, starting right now, with a discussion about transfer pricing compliance in Germany. And if you suddenly have an inkling for a Pilsner listening to this podcast, well, no one has to know. Sure, the country is a member of the OECD, and generally speaking, it follows the organization's transfer pricing guidelines, but even a straight-shooting country like Germany has transfer pricing nuances, and we'll get into those today. And let's not forget Germany's recent draft law, which could mean more compliance burdens for multinationals. How could they affect you? Stay tuned. Our guest today is transfer pricing expert, author, and founder of TP&C in Berlin, Oliver Trilder. Oliver writes frequently about transfer pricing for steam tax publications, including M&E Tax, Bloomberg Tax, Tax Notes, The Cayman Financial Review, and his book Transfer Pricing in One Lesson, A Practical Guide to Applying the Arm's Length Principle in Contemporary Transactions, debuted in 2019. I know, he's a real get. Oliver, thanks so much for being with us on The Fiona Show today. As always, you at home can earn one CPE credit just for listening to this show. Easy, we know. We're planting three code words in this podcast. Send all three to The Fiona Show. That's one word, The Fiona Show, at xbs.ai, and we'll reply with your certificate. Now, before we dive deep into Deutschland, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. out as a tax haven on the EU's blacklist isn't very fun, as the Cayman Islands, Panama, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, among others, well know. It's not so good for your reputation, and it makes it harder to get EU funding and tax benefits. Scotland, Belgium, Denmark, and France have all said MEs doing business in tax havens can kiss their COVID-19 rescue packages goodbye. Well, sorry, but the EU isn't interested in making things any easier for non-EU countries. In fact, Brussels has introduced a new requirement to stay off the list. Now, non-EU countries need to share information with the EU on the beneficial ownership of assets. The Economic and Financial Affairs Council seems to like the idea and is working out how to turn the plan into reality. Is Denmark serious about base erosion and profit shifting? We'd say so. On June 8th, the Ministry of Taxation released a report revealing that the country's new transfer pricing controls helped Denmark tracked down more than $12 billion since 2010. Since then, the Danish tax authority hired 100 employees, many of whom are focused specifically on tax evasion and tax havens, and there's more to come. Soon, the tax authority will form a special international corporate tax center to deal with the challenges of increasingly globalized tax settlements. Another proposal on the table, an EU tax evasion alarm, whereby member states can report suspicious activity by MNEs. About 170 reviews 
has resulted in more taxable income for Denmark, including cases that are worth more than $15 million each. Back in April, the Minister of Taxation had proposed other suggestions as well, including adding another 1,000 employees over the next four years, adding more analytical tools and IT solutions to tackle tax evasion. And he mentioned that penalties for poor tax behavior should have tougher penalties as well. Tax authorities may not be our favorite institutions, but there are occasions when even they step up to the plate, and the COVID-19 pandemic is one of them. While the pandemic has presented many challenges for multinational companies, tax authorities seem to be feeling your pain. In fact, many have gone as far as to extend their transfer pricing documentation deadlines. The Argentinian tax authorities have pushed deadlines back a month, so reports for tax years closed between December 31st, 2018 and May 30. 31st, 2019 are now due July 10th through the 14th. The exact date depends on your tax ID. Now, who says tax authorities are all bad? A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. So Oliver, tell me, how did you get into transfer pricing? Well, by accident, if that's a fair statement. <laughs> uh, so I started out with accounting, um, which which was fine to start with after, I guess, university. So you got to start somewhere. But I decided I want to go back to university some more. So I made a master in economics. And once I've completed the master, I was kind of yeah, looking for a job, I guess. And uh, yeah, transfer pricing turned up and seemed a good fit. And I've been uh, yeah, in transfer pricing ever since. Spoken like a true academic, a glutton for education. I mean, punishment. I mean, education. And <laughs> uh, what do you find so interesting about transfer pricing? Well, on a day to day, I mean, uh, it's it's really the challenge in getting your mind around different business models. You 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 encounter various entrepreneurs telling you how their business works, and and you have to obviously make the translation into a transfer pricing system at some point. But I, I really enjoy like talking to different clients all the time, and so you don't settle into a routine. So so each case is challenging, and one of the most fun parts, I guess, it's it's not academic because um, I mean you find a solution, you you create system but but in the end of the day there there will come the the time when when the audit starts and then things are getting serious and uh, of course you don't have to take it serious all the time but but uh, yeah that's challenging and you have to I mean make your case make your argument against an auditor who is um, well inclined maybe to see things in a, in a little bit of a different perspective so yeah uh, that that's a challenge and I think that's where 
we as consultants really can provide the most added value for the client. Just, uh, yeah, getting the points across to the auditor in a way that uh, hopefully uh, the, the outcome of the audit is <laughs> favorable. Mm. Indeed. Uh, you, you have a very interesting experience as a practitioner, which we're going to pull apart in depth as we go along. Um, but from that perspective, what mistakes do you see multinational companies making over and over again? I mean, that's maybe not like a bullet point list of classical mistakes, but I think like the in, in transfer pricing, the most difficult concept um, that I find uh, clients have to manage or get their minds around if they're not dealing with transfer pricing a lot and a lot of my clients are not like big M&E so my, my client base is more like uh, in the let's say total revenues of, of up to 200 million which I, I guess classifies as an SME in, in most countries and so I think in transfer pricing we talk in a lot of categories that for like the usual management stuff and, 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 and controlling guys sounds made up so we talk about routine entities or hybrid entity or an entrepreneur what I think is difficult for clients is to realize that, look, um, those are like really broad categories, but if you get it wrong, like if you put the wrong tag on, on a specific entity, uh, then your transfer pricing system would fall apart. It doesn't matter how good your calculations are or how good your, let's say, your benchmark is and, and so on and so forth, all those nitty-gritty details that matter but if you, if you get like the first step wrong and if you're not like very conscious in, in, in determining based on a functional risk analysis okay what kind of entities are we dealing with and and to really wrap your mind around this separate entity approach to begin with then then i think uh, you encounter difficulties but I, I think that's a very general statement, but uh, I, I found it to be true in practice uh, a lot of times. Longtime listeners, especially of our news podcast, are probably familiar with the fact that Germany is a member of the OECD, but also with all things OECD, it's never that simple that any member you know, unilaterally follows the, the guidelines exactly. Uh, can you describe the relationship that Germany has to the OECD guidelines? In that context, you probably have to differentiate between what is like like written in our law or in the lo local legislation and, and what is happening uh, on the ground. Um, I'd say when you just look at the paper and, and, and look at the legislation, uh, Germany is pretty much aligned with uh, OECD guidelines and, and the basic OECD guidance. And then they are, I, I think, reasonably close to, to implementing, let's say, the OECD standards. Like there are some idiosyncratic notions that we are going to touch upon later on. But um, in general terms, I think uh, when you're a client and you're in observing the, the OECD guidelines and your system is commensurate with OECD standards, then it will be fine for German tax purposes as well, like generally speaking. So that's, uh, I think that's a, that's a positive. And, 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 and Germany is in, in that sense, I think not a not a difficult jurisdiction for transfer pricing. Um, the difficulties um, mostly start then when you look at what the administration and what the auditors actually do with this, right? So, so the interpretation might be might be quite uh, quite a bit more, let's say, locally tainted than what is written in in, in the law and then in legislation. Right, right, right. If they were to enforce the full letter of the law, things would be much different at least on the ground but the law stands to provide them a a reasoning to go after you know x y and z uh, that they see in the documentation you know based, based on what that is in the larger picture 
Yes, I mean, if, if you read OECD guidelines and, and, and when you want to talk some specific notions where, where, where kind of auditors go astray in Germany, I mean, um, you have all, all the, the, the methods are basically acceptable in Germany. But if you come to something like TNMM, um, Germany has specific uh, rules um, that, that claim like, okay, you can only utilize uh, TNMM, which we all know is the workhorse of transfer pricing, if you have an um, entity that is classified as a routine entity. So that concept of a routine entity is much smaller than what we know from the OECD as a tested party, right? So if you just go into the German tax audit and say, okay, we apply TNNM, we have a tested party, um, I mean, so far so good. There's no disalignment uh, thus far, but you, you have to be aware that an auditor will in Germany, most likely scrutinize if it's uh, fitting his purposes, right? Uh, scrutinize this routine classification and, and, and demand you to substantiate this uh, classification quite a bit more than might be uh, like, like standard in, in other jurisdictions or based on uh, what you could expect based on the OCD guidelines. So, um, yeah. That is where the differences then really show. And you couldn't guess it from just reading our legislation. Legislation versus enforcement. There's a gap may be too strong a word, but there is a distance. But just to interrupt here for our first CPE code word, that word is beer. We hear beer is just a little popular in Germany, or at least that's what I heard from my brother when he went there for Oktoberfest. So that's that's the expertise that I have to offer. Um, tell us about Germany's documentation requirements. Yeah. Again, so so pretty close to what you can derive from the OECD. We have the master and local file concept implemented by now, and of course the CBCR as well. In terms of structuring the documentation, you have a lot of leeway. So um, there I think uh, the German legisla legislation is quite close to the OECD. So as a taxpayer, you can more or less um, make up your mind on how to structure your information. You can uh, cross-reference between master and local file and, and, and put the content where you see fit, like generally speaking. And But as long as you have a reason, that's, that's fine. In terms of maybe thresholds, which are interesting. So in Germany, you are obliged, especially that's relevant for smaller uh, clients, to, to have a documentation once you exceed a 6 million euros transaction volume. Like that's cumulative, so so inbound plus outbound, uh, or 600k for services. So that that's, I think, uh, a pretty low threshold overall. So you're, you're going to exceed it rather uh, quickly. And what a lot of especially startup companies uh, need to be aware of is that um, in Germany that those thresholds are not like uh, scrutinized by auditors. So you will eventually face a request by the auditor just um, notifying you that he's requesting the uh, documentation, which in German you are not obliged to like file with your tax audit and stuff. You're only obliged to show it to the auditor or provide it to the auditor uh, upon request within 60 days. So that's, uh, that's like the, the framework you're operating with. So even if you have no transfer pricing documentation at hand, which is not necessarily recommended, but you have 60 days to prepare it and, and to submit it then. Um, but again, even below the thresholds, that request may uh, may arise <laughs> by mail, and then you, you, you're going to have to make a decision, or you have to be prepared one way or the other. What I kind of tell, especially those startup uh, clients or the, the smaller companies, is look, um, you do not want to 
go toe to toe with the auditor and, and quibble about those thresholds. So, I mean, you could draft a written response and, and inform the auditor, look, I'm, I'm, I think I'm below the thresholds, but then you can kind of start to argue if that's true or not, which um, I guess um, you, you can make legal argument, but it's not necessarily a good start into the audit in terms of uh, building a, let's say, constructive working relationship with the auditor. So I, I think in Germany, when you're really a small client, it, it always uh, pays dividends if you have like at least like six, eight, ten pages summarizing your um, nuts and bolts of your transfer pricing. It doesn't have to be detailed uh, when you're really small, but but you have to have at least something uh, that that's consistent and and doesn't um, let let's say um, make you vulnerable to to attacks. Because the alternative in Germany is also to get into the audit practice a bit. So if if you're um, they can always ask additional questions, right? So, so uh, any auditor is free in, in transfer pricing to to pose formal questions uh, relating to your uh, cross-border transactions, and you are required to answer. And um, the let's say decision in 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 how 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 you want to approach compliance in Germany is basically how proactive do you want to be, and it kind of is advisable to be proactive in in the sense that if, if you're not providing enough material that that to convey in consistent pictures you've got just going to be swarmed by by those requests and it's no fun answering those so so it's, it's better to be on i think in, in front of the curve there and, and just to underscore the threat that you're highlighting here or the risk that you're highlighting here if you don't meet the threshold you could be asked for documentation oh yeah they, they just going to ask you and if you're not providing it you you have to have a reasoning, right? So you're obliged uh, to, to at least provide answers uh, to the auditor, even below the threshold. So even if you're below the thresholds, you're still obliged uh, to answer any question the, the auditor may have. So um, you're not off the hook. Uh, so it's not like you're uh, you can do whatever you want when 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 below the thresholds and and, and um, answering questions maybe in an unstructured is not necessarily an advantage so it, it really my advice would be not to put too much emphasis on i'm i'm below the threshold uh, especially when you're kind of getting close to that um, just be prepared um, you don't have to go like the extra mile and, and have a 20 30 page document ready it, it can be a lot a lot shorter than that and you don't necessarily have to provide a a benchmark study, a database benchmark study, and so on. So you can you can adopt a reasonably pragmatic approach, um, but but even below the threshold, it's kind of uh, is worthwhile not to just be complacent about it, but but really to 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 be ready. Uh, and and once an audit comes in Germany, and I think that's maybe one of the questions you're going to have also, like like uh, how likely is it that you're audited? I mean, it's in Germany not not the case that you audit necessarily every year so maybe only three years if you're small maybe, maybe they don't even bother you for for a longer period but but once the audit starts you should take it seriously in germany i think that's the, that that's an important takeaway you mentioned that you have control over structuring is that structuring leeway a positive or does it open you up to more subjectivity by the tax authorities no i i, I think it's a positive. So in our legislation, there is like a list what is supposed to be contained in a master file and a local file. So so that's 
I mean, you don't have to get creative if you don't want to. So you can just follow basically the list and, and, and get the check marks ready. But if you have a central documentation provided by headquarters that is outside of Germany, I think that's, uh, that's always good that you know that you have the flexibility to, to kind of uh, make it work in Germany. So Germany will not be a, a country where you necessarily encounter like difficulties based on, on, on formal structuring of the documentation or some additional documents that you have to file with some, uh, some period of filing or filing period deadlines involved. So, so Germany is easy in that sense. And I, I think that's overall an advantage. And bottom line here, you know, meet those documentation requirements, even if you're not legally required to. I mean, in Germany, maybe one, one important thing to the documentation is also, I mean, especially when you talk about master and local file, the master file, I mean, is basically information purpose only. You're not, I mean, that's not where ultimately your risk resides. It's the local file where the information really um, refers to the German operations. And, 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 and there, Germany is also, I, I think, I mean, again, it's a people's business, depends on the auditor you face. But overall, I'd say, we are not so strict that going to have severe difficulties if some information is missing could even, as I said, provide it then on request or the auditor will follow up and, and, and inform you, look, uh, you have neglected to maybe mention uh, some, some, some details here or you didn't provide us with all the contracts or whatever it is. And, and this would not kind of cause you uh, to run foul of, of, of your documentation requirements. What is Interesting here is that you have to, and, and this is kind of a soft, um, let's say a very soft concept, you have to have a, a so-called usable documentation. And, and usable is defined in, uh, in, in the way that uh, the documentation you have um, must enable a third person, meaning the auditor, to get uh, a reasonable, accurate picture of, of what is happening. So if you're not willfully misholding anything or distorting your presentation, um, you're pretty much on the on a good track here. And um, what what really matters is if you have a usable documentation, if that is established, then the burden of proof uh, that anything is wrong or not arm's length rests with the auditor. So so that is why it really. Uh, in Germany, is is just do your homework, do the present, do do at least the the uh, yeah, the honest effort here in in, in documentation wise, and and then uh, you get the benefit of of uh, the order of being being uh, yeah faced with the burden of proof. So, right, right, right. Uh, the only uh, the only unpunished students might be the A students in this kind of mentality. But um, would you say you have to update information every year in that case? No, I mean, what what is usually done? Um, I mean, it really depends. Is anything changing? Uh, do you alter your business model? Do you like tweak your transfer pricing strategy? Then, then you would have to make a documentation of this of the changes. You would have to update. But if everything is, let's say, in a steady state, you would not necessarily have to update it. I mean, you would update obviously the the transaction volumes, which uh, which are part of the documentation. So when you have a benchmark by law, you should update the financial data on your comparables. But like depending on your size, what we see in practice sometimes is just that clients renew it every three years, and that that also will work well as long as you operate in a steady state. What what I should 
mention and that's that's good that you you bring it up we do have uh, requirements in germany for they call it extraordinary uh transactions so if you have anything extraordinary so a business restructuring or transaction involving intangibles or shifting intangibles um you have to provide so-called contemporaneous documentation which uh, means you have to have this ready within uh, six months after the, the respective financial year. But even though it's called contemporaneous documentation, you don't have to like file it or submit it. It's only that the period you're granted once you receive a re request is not 60 days, but 30 days, which doesn't sound too bad. The tricky part here is that when you are dealing with business restructuring or extraordinary events, because you have a contemporaneous requirement, you cannot Like if your audit is like three or four years later, you cannot tell the auditor, look, I, I have no idea what happened here. I'm, I'm not so sure. You know, I'm, I cannot find out because my colleague is no longer with the firm or, you know, whatever can happen. Um, that, that may work for like ordinary uh, transactions. He might cut you some slack. And, and again, he has the burden of proof um, for, for those stuff once you have the documentation. But in extraordinary circumstances, so when you kind of have a business restructuring, and is coming under audit like three years in the future, the requirements will be much stricter because they're saying, look, you had a contemporaneous requirement. If you don't have it uh, written down, um, that's your bad. So uh, our interpretation is not going to be in your favor. So that you, you might want to treat careful on those issues. Mm. So just bottom line here, make sure you have that real-time information on hand. Yeah, so so extraordinary stuff should really be on top of your documentation agenda. So if anything extraordinary happens, make sure you have something in your files. Um, somebody should record it. You don't again, you don't have to prepare full scope documentation for that, but you should have some documents available that you can either use internally or give your advisor um, so that come time to to compile the documentation, you can rely on your on the stuff compiled for the extraordinary transactions. Yeah. Mm. How does Germany's documentation requirements align and differ from the OECD? In general, I mean, when you have like a M&E and, and you have a documentation concept or you roll it out and, and, and the, the local file that you compile hits Germany, um, as, as long as you comply with OECD standards, the likelihood that your local German file will meet our requirements are, I'd say, high. And there's also pretty uh, pretty high likelihood that whoever does the review will not require you to to, to provide you with like say additional documentation than 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 what you have already provided. So um, I think that that's kind of reflecting that Germany is really aligned with OECD and not not moving off off topic there. I I know there are other jurisdictions like like Poland or Italy maybe that are more difficult and they have additional requirements. Uh, but at least those are those are the jurisdictions in Europe that I'm aware of that might be a little stricter and, and require you to do, do some extra stuff that is not even foreseen in the OECD, but, but Germany, I think, is not, not critical in that regard. Mm. But maybe more highlighting uh, areas where they go beyond the OECD in that case, like, say, regarding cost allocations, cost-sharing agreements, R&D... Yeah, they, they don't necessarily go formally outside of what the OECD does. I mean, they have some provisions, obviously. You have to document your your your, your cost allocations and, and stuff like this. But, but I mean, 
OECD, like like let's talk uh, cost allocations, maybe. So so you you will have to have a benefit test anyways, right? And Germany doesn't really go beyond this. Um, what Germany may be a little more stricter there is, well, they would expect you to have a contract for that. But I mean, I guess so. So everybody else would also expect that. So that's not really. Uh, very strict, I think. So, so when you're based on the OECD again, you're you're pretty pretty safe to be compliant for German purposes as well. Mm. And let's make this a question for Fiona, since we have her here as well. Fiona, what are the transfer pricing penalties in Germany? Germany doesn't like lateness. I wouldn't file late transfer pricing documentation if I were you. You could be hit with a fine of one million euros or at the very least be charged 100 euros for each day that your paperwork is passed due. Not very friendly, is it? And that sounds like a great CPE code word, Fiona, and we'll make that lateness, as in Germany doesn't like lateness. Oliver, what is the auxiliary calculation, and is that part of the transfer pricing requirements? Well, well, PEs, I mean, there's like a, there are administrative principles piece as well they follow the authorized OECD approach and yes there are auxiliary calculations that need to be made available and they they sh they should be part of your transfer pricing documentation for PEs but um, I mean those okay I, I I would say those are kind of German regulations they have like I, I, I don't know like 250 pages that's a lot <laughs> but but Again, core, core message is if you have an AOA compliant setup for your PEs, you're on the right track at least. And if you have a profit and loss accounting for your PE established, then this is a surrogate uh, for this uh, auxiliary documentation or auxiliary calculations also. What you will have to be aware of, but again, I, I don't think that's... Uh, that's a German particularity. Um, you would have to prove or, or show that the profit and loss account for for your PE um, is aligned with your with your significant people functions, right? So so that the the logic uh, of the AOA is actually accurately reflected in the in the accounts. But I mean, I, I don't see that necessarily as like at least from the documentation standpoint, that's not not something that is uh, completely uh, let's say German, but then we're really talking specific. So that, that is really then the, the, the fine. Again, for PEs, there are some special legislations when you are talking financial PEs or um, construction uh, sites. So so they have some, let's say, some additional rules, but, but um, uh, I mean, those would then only apply for very limited uh, they have a very limited scope, so they would only apply for those specific industries. Mm. And what of methodology? Are there any specific methods preferred in Germany? Like traditionally, they would prefer the standard method. So, so the COP, uh, cost plus, and the resale uh, method, they are, let's say, there's a mild hierarchy. So every every method is, is, is okay. Um, but, uh, even by law, so you can apply any method you want, but, but the cup is a little bit, uh, traditionally a little bit above the others. There are some changes in this now when, when you, when we address what is uh, happening on the, uh, what new developments we see in legislation in Germany, then, then the, let's say, but, but again, it's a soft hierarchy. So there's not like you have to do a cup or something, but 
the point I, I, I'm trying to get at is that there's um, this is a point with the methods where um, I think the the difference in Germany is not in the in what is written in the legal text, but but in how the the auditors are conditioned, and and this is deeply ingrained in their in their way to go about their audits. So they have, uh, let's say, an ingrained. Uh, <laughs> they favor the cup or they always ask, okay, can we find a cup? Um, they, pre they just have a reference for that. And, and, and in, in Germany, when you have documentation and this is becomes where it's really uh, like, uh, how can you approach it or how can you cope with this? It kind of, uh, even the OECD says, okay, look, payer uh, is not obliged to apply like more than one method or, when you look at transfer pricing documentations, you see some of the documentations where you, you discuss each and every method and, and you reject everyone or every method that, that you don't, don't want to apply, you reject it, which kind of, I mean, it, it just balloons your transfer pricing documentation. I mean, depending on your preferences, I don't necessarily like it, so I, I don't spend too much time talking about the methods that I, I think are obviously not applicable. But in Germany, should maybe think about spending a little time especially if you do not apply the cup, right? If you apply an MM or cost plus, um, you might want to explain just a short explanation why in your case, the cup may not be applicable. Just, you know, to say a signal to the auditor, look, I, I've, I'm aware there, there's something like the cup. I've not neglected it, but it is really not applicable in our case. It's not the best method. We do not have a reliable cup. Um, so maybe if you use, and half a page explaining this, um, I, I think in Germany that's time well spent just because you counter this, this preference or this re reflex of the auditor to always, you know, ask you about the cup. And, and if you if you just come straight out of the, the gate and say, look, there's no cup course, I don't know, you have a project-based business or, yeah, it's it, it, it's just not, no no comparable transactions occur, like no internal transactions that, that, that could be used and um, just, just, spend some time in explaining this um, and, and you're generally fine. On the other hand of the spectrum, I mean, you, you will have two, the two methods that are maybe worth discussing are the TNMM uh, and, and the profit split. So, so maybe starting with the TNMM, which I know when you talk to the US guys, they say, say okay, yeah, for us, this is TNMM, right? So, so compared with profit methods, it's the same thing. Uh, different name, but but basically same approach. Yes, uh, I, I would be inclined to agree. That that's in practice very very almost indistinguishable. But now we come to a German uh, particularity. In our transfer pricing regulations, it says okay, CPM is explicitly forbidden. So if you have a U.S. based uh, local file, or if you compile a local file from the U.S. and you want to utilize it in Germany, maybe you want to just you know be aware of that. Do not say CPM, uh, maybe uh, call it TNMM, <laughs> and, and you're good to go. I mean, the difference, of course, is, is on the one you say it's transaction-based, right? So on the other one, you, you, you just go to the, to the PNL of your tested party directly. I mean, in day-to-day, -day, if you have a simple operations, you do not segment anyways, and then, then TNMM is the same as CPM. But uh, Germany is a bit hostile to TNMM, to be honest. So the auditors are not very, let's say, enarmored by, by the usual benchmarks. They're very skeptical. 
Um, I, I know that there are a lot of jurisdictions, uh, especially when you talk to Eastern European guys, they say, okay, I have to have a benchmark, you know, have to, have to be local comparables and, and so on and so forth. And, but once you have a benchmark, then pretty much the discussions tend to be much smoother and then you just trust on the basis of the benchmark. In Germany, I think, and I, I think that's gone way overboard in the last years, but, but you have auditors who just look at it and, 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 and basically tell you to your face, you know, I, I, I really don't care about your comparable to the quality of your benchmark. Um, it's just a bunch of bogus anyways, and I'm trying to find some arguments to challenge you elsewise, right? So, and this is just something, I mean, I think other countries are much more reasonable in this, or I... At least that's my experience. That uh, when once you have a good benchmark and, and you have a sound reasoning for that, that tends to put you in a good position. But in Germany, it's not like you have just a benchmark and you're home free, right? So in, in Germany, you have to be really mindful and, and, and probably defend TNMM also. So it's just uh, again not not an easy way in Germany to say, okay, I have a benchmark, so I, I'll, I'll get successful through the audit they're going to scrutinize it more likely than not. And again, it pays dividends if you have to spend the time. So if you think about where do I want to spend my time in Germany when I prepare documentation, so what are the areas I really want to, you know, um, focus on? It's, well, classification of the entities, right? You have to have a routine entity, as I explained before. Otherwise, TNM is dead. <laughs> so, so he will just reject it flat out. Um, so, so that's the first one you want to really be sure of. And, and the second aspect is, okay, you have to have uh, a justification for the method. You want to use TNMM, be aware that the auditor may, you know, try to maybe establish a cup or whatever and, and try to make TNMM like uh, unfeasible for you, or at least kind of challenge you on that. So, so yeah, those are two aspects I think uh, are worthwhile to keep in mind in Germany. But just bottom line here, expect to be asked about the cup or your method or offer an explanation as to why not using it, uh, why you're not using it as a proactive measure. I think that's a, that's a fair summary. And then, and I, I think the same uh, goes to, to the profit split, which is still viewed as sort of a, even though legally it's not, but it's, it's, it's viewed as a method of last resort. So again, you, you, you want to explain yourself if you, if you need it. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, Big Four. We've got the answer, cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign and tell us about benchmarks. Yeah, benchmarks, like, like I said. So in like legally, you, you're obviously more than welcome to do a benchmark. And also, we do not have in Germany this discussion, or at least it's not that um, 
that big of a discussion so of this regional or pan-regional benchmarks, right? So you, you can use a European benchmark, that that's fine. So everybody uses uh, pan-European benchmarks in Germany. That's not the aspect um, that will be challenged uh, mostly. So, so auditors will accept, okay, you have a, uh, a pan-European benchmark. The financial authorities also utilize the same benchmark. So they all use this Orbis benchmark here, basically in Germany also, or the Amadeus, if I'm allowed to say that. I, I don't know, I'm not related to these guys, but, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> so, but but just in terms of the, those benchmarks, are local preferred? Yeah, preferred, but if, if you look at, uh, at Orbis, Amadeus, there's, uh, there are not a lot of German companies included. So you're always going, to, in, in Europe, I mean, that's the same for Europe, for everybody doing pan-Europeans. I mean, the the... There are some studies on this done by the European Union and so on and so forth. So it's it's well known that there's a bias in the in the data. So you have a lot of uh, comparables from Italy and, and Spain. Um, they're always going to be in your in your, in your final sets. Um, but that's fine. I mean, uh, the, again, that's not that's most likely not what's being challenged in. In, in, in day-to-day audits here. I mean, obviously the auditor would like there to be a German company or comparable included, but but you're going to have a hard time finding more than one in your final set most of the time just because there are not not a lot of German companies included in the, in the benchmark or in the database to begin with. And we'll just interrupt very quickly for our second CPE code word, and that code word is proactive, as in it's always good to be proactive about your transfer pricing. Let's first ask Fiona. Fiona, in speaking of audits, what is the likelihood of a tax audit in Germany? Well, Matt, the likelihood of transfer pricing audits seem high everywhere these days, doesn't it? But yes, in Germany, I would say the likelihood of a tax audit is high. And once auditors look at your income taxes, you can be sure they will look at your transfer pricing. Oliver, anything to add there? So, so basically, uh, the audit periods are three years in Germany. So there's a quite a good likelihood that at least when you're, let's say, not not very small M&E, that you are audited like every three or four years. That audit is audit likelihood is, I, I'd say, high. But um, what I encounter quite a bit is that not each and every audit that you face is a transfer pricing audit. Um, so uh, surprisingly for me, uh, there are companies that uh, where transfer pricing was not prioritized in the, in the past. Um, um, they, they just said, okay, they, they had maybe a personally look at transfer pricing or a brief look at transfer pricing, but didn't make it a, a focal point. Maybe even didn't even request transfer pricing documentation in the last audit. And so uh, I still have a lot of clients, even the, especially the smaller ones, who said, okay, no, maybe they have discussed it in the previous audit, but they didn't really uh, follow up on this. But, but uh, the, the new auditor is coming in, and he, now he wants to see it. So that is something I, I encounter mm. quite a bit. But I guess the message here is you should not be complacent. I mean, obviously, if you're not sure that you're, your transfer pricing is, is, is really ensuring arm's length outcomes, uh, going to have a risk in Germany. So even if it's not audited in the past, then it's no guarantee that they are not going to focus on this in the future. So, Well, well, let, let's, uh, let's actually poke right there. What are some red flags for audits in Germany? What is, what is most likely to increase your risk? Losses locally, as I guess everybody's answering the same. So, so auditors don't like losses. Uh, who does? Uh, um, so, so they they're going to challenge you on losses for sure. Um, so, if you really have losses, um, 
be ready to defend them um, because there's no way they're just going to, you know, neglect to check on it. <laughs> it's just too obvious. One other very hot topic here is a relocation of functions. So when, when you have a business restructuring and you, you set up companies uh, elsewhere and, and, and you have uh, at the same time scrapped the function in Germany, be it be it sales, be it, be it production, whatever, then they're going to take a very close look on what you have done on, on what is the implication for the future allocation of profits. So, so I think whenever you have a restructuring project, and this would qualify, as I said before, as an extraordinary uh, transactions, then, 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 then you really have to address this uh, at, at the time that is happening. And, and you have to be very much aware that the arm's length nature of, of what you're doing is, is going to be scrutinized. Mm. Now for, I think, my, what might be the main attraction for many of our listeners, the German draft law that was introduced in December 2019 has big implications for transfer pricing. Can you tell us about some of the draft law's effects on transfer pricing? Maybe I have to step like go one step back. So what we have been promised in Germany is to get like a, a law or an administrative clarification on 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 how to apply the arm's length principle. That has been promised us for like years, but it has never happened, and it seems like it's not going to happen. So what we see now with the with the new draft law is maybe like a small substitute for this. They, they're doing what is necessary to be aligned with the OECD uh, developments, um, which I, I think there are some positive and negative aspects here. The alignment with the OECD developments, which I specifically see in the, uh, in the, in the DEMPE function, right, which is a big uh, change on the OECD framework when, when we're talking about dealing with intangibles. Uh, Germany seems to be quite willing to to adopt this concept and say, okay, this makes sense from an economic point of view. We are willing to also adhere to this Dempe logic. And um, they're not, uh, I mean, the OECD, the, the concept you may argue is not refined on OECD level, so there's a lot of room for interpretation still. And, and, and that's certainly also true in Germany, but I, I wouldn't necessarily blame the the Ministry of Finance for not providing more specific guidance, but you can see they they align quite well there in, in terms of Dempe. So the and and maybe what is connected there is um, you see a general willingness um, maybe to move a little bit towards more economic inter interpretation of the arm's length principle. So they they really emphasize the function and risk analysis, which I think also kind of mirrors what is happening. Uh, on the OECD level, those I, I would say are the the positive aspects. So, what is maybe a little bit more critical and, and negative is what is happening, for example, on the financial transactions. I think that's the, maybe one of the most glaring points where Germany kind of tries to implement a very idiosyncratic view on 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 how to deal with certain transactions. And and the point here is that uh, when you read the OECD on financial transaction and, and you also realize, okay, there's this, let's say, a reasonable skepticism about this, what we have been grown accustomed to, like own notching procedures and, and, and the benchmarking of loans and so on and so forth. Um, but the OECD kind of has a very balanced approach and you, you can still apply all those techniques if you have a, a economic rationale behind it. 
uh, Germany really goes very strict and forbidding approach here. They they stipulate various default assumptions that say, okay, look, when you when you extend a loan to a subsidiary, like like the default assumptions that the the, the group rating should apply, right? And, that, that financial transactions are always uh, assumed to be like routine functions when you talk about cash pool leader and so on. So I think this is mirroring or reflecting a very defensive approach. They are just trying to eliminate like high interest rate charge to German uh, German entities by I think like primarily Dutch or, or Irish holding companies. That seems to be pretty <laughs> pretty apparent. And and aside from the from the rating or rating uh, aspect, the, the other crucial aspect in financial when when you're dealing with loans, what what Germany is really strict on, and is that they won't, are going to be uh, implementing a two-step approach. So it's not only the discussion about you know are your interest rates arm's length or whatever, which, which I mean usually is the or uh, tended to be the, the the core discussion. They they are starting earlier with the discussion in the sense that they're going to scrutinize whether there's an economic rationale for extending the loan in the first place. And not only extending the loan at all, but also the amount of the loan. So looking at debt equity ratio of the of the borrower and, and, and trying to to really get down to the details of what is behind the uh, what, what is the motivation, uh, the business motivation of extending the loan. And if you cannot demonstrate this uh, logic, then they're going to challenge the entire transaction. So, so I think this is a very, yeah, let's say worrisome uh, development here. Mm. The law was presented with an unusually short public comment period, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> um, was there a motivation there? Three days, <laughs> I think, or something. Yeah. Ridiculous, yeah. yes. Um, yeah, pretty ridiculous. I don't. I, to be honest, I don't know what the motivation was uh, to to kind of sneak it uh, almost on the agenda here. Some of the colleagues kind of found out about it. I, it passed me by the first time. To be honest, I uh, was aware after the fact, basically because the the period was so um, so short. So yeah, some some colleagues voiced, uh, let's say, concerns about the general procedure and communication of the of the government here, but I cannot speculate what their motivation was there. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's been discussed and then uh, obviously like uh, I, I commented very critically on the financial part, there were other critical elements as well, which have been criticized, like I explained you about the burden of proof in Germany and how it is uh, kind of shaking out. So there were some uh, passages in this draft law that that uh, would shift the burden a bit more to the taxpayer there were some uh, like like wordings in there that that kind of really sounded ugly for us because suddenly we were we we were in the position that that we are supposed to prove something which previously we we just didn't have to also there were some more strict uh, provisions um, regarding the relocation of functions for example I, I told you that's like one of the hot issues anyways, and they, they are trying to make it even stricter by scrapping some of the escape clauses. So so previously, when you are relocating a function to a routine entity that um, after the relocation only provides you with uh, services that you remunerate on a cost plus basis, then the default assumption was, 
okay, there's no intangibles in, involved in, in this uh, relocation. So no intangibles are leaving Germany, thus no uh, claim to residual profits leave Germany. So you, you do not have to make a very say, complicated or complex uh, an analysis of what has been relocated. So that, that was like uh, one of the escape clauses. So that got you off the hook uh, pretty quickly. And they were intending to scrap those. And, and uh, most practitioners really said, okay, why are you doing this? What is the basis for this? Our existing provisions work quite well, so so we really don't see no sensible rationale for for doing so. And um, they toned it down somewhat. So so in April, there were some discussions, or are still ongoing or pending discussions in the public hearing. On in April, they they released a second draft, and and they they toned down some some of the issues I mentioned, but but others uh, remained in place. For example, of course, the financial stuff I explained earlier. So, so some of the negative things got, let's say, toned down. But I mean, what it really shows and what you can take away from the entire discussion, and, and you mentioned I, I published this on, on MNE text, is it conveys to you what the mindset is really of the German auditors or the, the, the Ministry of Finance. And and the mindset is not not one that is, let's say, very friendly to MEs, and 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 they just uh, trying to run. Uh, how do you say tilt the tilt the playing field even more in their favor? So, in terms of the draft law, it changes the burden of proof to the taxpayer, and it has perhaps the biggest implications for financial transactions because the tax authorities would be able to change the structure of the loans, which could change the profitability. So if a loan, for example, is based on benchmark interest rates, but then is restructured to a service transaction on a cost plus basis, that changes profitability quite a bit. So M&Es have not only additional compliance burdens with this, but it has huge business implications as well. That's that's maybe a good context that you provide here, because when I interpret the changes that I'm seeing here, I mean, I, I see some 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 like modifications which uh, I can uh, understand in terms of we, we want to align with what is happening on the OECD level, uh, but other aspects that that are happening here in Germany, I, I I have difficulties to rationalize it in terms of we we need to do something to be um, let's say aligned with what is happening on the OECD level, and and we're trying to prevent like profit shifting because it's endemic even post debts uh, there's no let's say no no argument provided that there's a necessity for adopting stricter regulations in germany i think the regulations we have have not been criticized that much uh, especially now if, if you see that there's a lot of stuff happening and with the dempe for example it still has to prove itself on a, on a day-to-day basis so um what I think a lot of practitioners in Germany would have preferred is, is a more, let's say, laid-back approach. I mean, fair enough, focus on aligning this with the OECD, with the developments on the OECD. Um, but other than that, why do we have to be like the eager beaver here, right? So, And, and this is, I think, what the German Ministry of Finance here is, is really, that that's the role they're really is doing here. Given this draft law, what message do you think tax authorities are trying to send to multinationals? <laughs> like, we don't trust you, is what, what, what comes to my mind. And, and that's really unfortunate. But, but I, I mean, what else are you going to read into that? I mean, 
I, I think yeah. for constructive dialogue, you would have allowed for a reasonable discussion time. You would have not like sneaked in the wording and, and the implicit shifting of burden of proof. Why, why limit the arms length range like that? So there are various, let's say, aspects here that I, I think spell distrust. And, and I, I, I really think that's a sad, uh, very sad uh, uh, let's say trajectory that we are taking here, because I, I see no cause for that. So Germany, as I um, at least in my my perception, is not not a country where where where, where the profit shifting is endemic. So I think there's a lot of stuff to improve, and and we everybody's obviously listening and and willing to uh, to contribute and 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 make make difficult concepts like the Dempe work. We are obviously. Uh, working with the relocation of functions uh, issues in Germany for a long time, I think the um, and, and we have administrative uh, principles in place which which work good. So I, I think uh, there's no reason to go overboard here, and they they've really done so. And I I, I don't understand why. For me, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit sad, really. But but it's sometimes reflecting what we see in, in audits as well. So. Um, there's um, maybe because of BEPS, uh, like like um, the impression that you give, that give have that um, let's say there's a suspicion that okay there must be some shenanigans going on and and, and the taxpayer is kind of still um, trying to uh, yeah run its game on us here us uh, poor auditors we are kind of defenseless we have to have more information. We are not happy with having the burden of proof, and I think kind of uh, yeah uh, plays into this uh, draft law. I know I'm probably making some some comments that that some people don't want to hear, but yeah, I I, I think that's uh, that that's at least uh, yeah kind of what 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 if if you know and and you you kind of. Uh, um, you're dealing with the German tax audits, then then you have the impression that look, um, what's happening on the ground here, um, the, the 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 distribution of power between tax uh, tax auditor and and, and and taxpayer is quite a different one um, than is sometimes um, discussed in the media and and what is kind of suggested here in this draft law, and and there's really no. For me, no, no reason why you should tilt the playing field any more in the favor of the tax authorities in Germany. But okay, that's obviously my opinion, <laughs> which mm. is biased. But okay. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And 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 uh, opinions are are made for people to get pissed off at. So that 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 comes with the territory. How has the related party definition changed? Well, it's it has been broadened a bit. Um, but to be honest, um, that that's like one area where I. Uh, I, I don't focus too much on because for transfer pricing we already had this um, threshold or this, this classific- classification criteria as uh, as long as you can have like significant economic influence um, then you can be uh, classified as a related party and uh, I think in, on international stage there are various or uh, differing definitions on this and Germany has this 25% criterion in terms of um, uh, shareholding, um, and, and as far as I can see now, it, it's kind of extended to, to like uh, you earn profits or dividends of a related company. But um, I'm not quite sure if it's going to be a huge thing on a day to day in terms of extending the scope of uh, of what we're seeing in, in in terms of you are required to pre- 
transfer pricing documentations for additional parties. I'm I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not seeing that. We have tax authorities who are clearly trying to make things more difficult for multinationals. In that case, what should taxpayers do? Watch the taxpayers. Okay, yeah. Well, um, you need to have a, uh, let's say, a consistent story, I'd say. You cannot afford to be ambiguous with uh, tax uh, auditors anymore because they will just exploit whatever weakness you, you present to them. So you got to get your story straight and then and, and present it in a way that is, let's say, offering as, as small as possible uh, of, uh, in ways of giving them an area to attack on. So I, I think... Take this seriously and, and, and get your get your story straight and, and you'll be in good shape and uh, be complacent and be ambiguous on your facts and uh, yeah take your chances so <laughs> that's really I mean that has been always been true I, I, to some extent but I uh, I would venture to suggest that um, maybe even five years in the past, um, you could get away with uh, qu- quite a bit of ambiguity in, in terms of your transfer pricing documentation. By now, um, I think you need to be aware that the tolerance for that or the, the, the way the auditors approach this is, uh, is quite different. And, and this is what you see, um, not, not only in this draft law, so things become stricter and tougher but like like i said and again it's my opinion and with this uh, increasing level of distrust you really do not want to go out on a limp here um have your story straight and stick to your guns right and have it ready and yeah if you're prepared then okay then that's that's all you can do and um, but but there's uh really no no reason anymore to relax about it like like let them come and i i take care or i i i know that some people said, ah, it's never been a problem in the past and I can explain everything and I'll be not so sure. So be, be very, very cautious of, of how you approach it. And, and uh, yeah, I, I guess that, uh, that's not an, uh, let's, I'm aware that this is, may not be a earth shakingly innovative message, but uh, yeah, maybe, yeah, stick to the basics, stick to the, yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sometimes the best advice is the simplest. Yeah.
Yes, and we have one last CPE code word, and that code word is diligent, as in you have to be diligent about transfer pricing. Thank you very much for a very great discussion, Oliver. Uh, I love to deep dive into a single country, and, and Germany is fascinating, uh, as, as many of your m answers have led us to. But don't turn us off just yet. We still have time for what we want to know, that up-close-and-personal part of the show where we put a transfer pricing expert in the hot seat for a rapid-fire round of questions. Oliver, no thinking, just answers. Are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> How do you handle your most stressful moments? So, tea. Yeah. Tea. Yeah. Ah, my mother raised me on tea. You're a fellow tea man. I like that. Uh, what is your favorite cliche? That tax avoidance is, is like widespread or random. <laughs> That's a cliche. I like that. I like that. What do you wish you knew at the start of your career that you know now? Well, that, that's tough. Uh, I don't know. Uh, no, no, no regrets. Uh, no regrets. That, that's all. Nothing at all. Go into it. Just, just bare knuckled. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Slug it out. I, I'm, I'm happy with that. So, yeah. <laughs> in that case, people define success in different ways. What's your definition? Oh, I'm, 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 I'm doing what I love. So, um, yeah, healthy family. I, I can combine work with family and I, I love my work. So that's, well, I'm, I'm happy with that. Thank you so much for being with us, Oliver. We really appreciate you being here and sharing your expertise. And well, thanks for tuning in today, everyone. That just about wraps up our show, but there's still so much more to say about transfer pricing. And we're going to say it eventually. Don't miss it. Subscribe to The Fiona Show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and we'll fill you in on transfer pricing every week. I'm Matthew DeMello, and I host, edit, and engineer this podcast. Executive producer Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom writes our scripts, and, well, that's all she wrote for today. So we'll catch you back here next week with more compelling transfer pricing discussions that we promise you won't want to miss. 